Our New Testament verse is from Revelation, a, a book that you hardly hear us read in church, but it has very significant meaning for us on this day. Revelation 1, beginning in the fourth verse. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, priest, serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on, this, on his account of all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. The Word of God for the people of God. Some of you may not know this, but I love this day. Today is Christ the King Sunday. Some of you may have never even acknowledged it before. But this is the Sunday that marks the end of our liturgical calendar, our Christian year. This is the Sunday that we celebrate and remember as we have moved through each Sunday all the blessings and gifts that our God has freely given to us. The costly grace and sacrifice to offer us free salvation to each one of us, to all of his children. The miracles and the healings Jesus revealed through the New Testament, the faithfulness and sometimes not so faithfulness of God's people in the Old Testament, but the fact that God is always faithful. He is the God who keeps his promises, who lives into his covenants. And also we hear of anticipation, of yielding, surrendering to God's will, not our will, and the waiting. The scripture passage from Revelation that we just heard gives us everything we need to truly acknowledge and celebrate Christ as our King. You know, when I began my course of study, I intentionally made a decision to share with my congregations what I was learning. And as I start my other st studies, I will bring you along with me. I start them in January, so I'll bring you along with me because I take very seriously and I feel very blessed that the conference has appointed me to the pulpit, that y'all support me and understand the work and the effort that it takes to go back to school, especially at my age, 
but I will bring y'all with me because I learned a lot of good things while I'm in school. And one of the things I learned was about this passage. Because in my Bible 5 class, we took a deep dive into Revelation. And I was very blessed beyond any expectation I ever had to have Dr. Israel Kamakuda. We ended up just calling him Dr. K as my instructor. He is one of the most joyful people I have ever met. He is also very knowledgeable about the Bible, about Revelation. He has written books about Revelation. And I have kept every book you can look at my library that I ever had to purchase for course of study. I have kept every notebook that I have taken notes in. I go back and read them and most of them are just sort of scribbled because I, I'm so excited about what I was learning, I couldn't keep up fast enough. But I went back and dug out the notebook for this class so I could study this again. So a lot of what I bring to you today about the first chapter of Revelation is from what I learned from Dr. K. In the first verse, we hear grace and peace from him who is and was and is to come. This greeting is used seven times in the book of Revelation, 18 times in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul uses a form of this greeting in all of his epistles. In Titus 1.4, Paul says, Grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Savior. These words, they are a blessing, and it is also a greeting that is very important. Grace is used in both the Old and the New Testament, but the meaning and the implications are different. In the Old Testament, the root word is a Hebrew word, Hesed, H-E-S-E-D, used to speak of God's lovingness, mercy, and faithfulness. In the New Testament, grace is used from the Greek word, charis, C-H-R-I-S, with the understanding that charis is an act of generosity, most likely a political act between the benefactor and the one receiving the grace. This act of generosity often was in turn a demanded act that you become loyal, that in return for the act you must show your loyalty. And this is where the writers of the gospel took their original word and adapted the Christian use of grace and the gift of the salvation by God to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and King. God offers this grace of salvation to all who believe. All who believe. He just requires that we believe. As always, God acts. And we are called to respond. 
to his loving actions. How could we not, as believers in Jesus Christ, as our Savior, not respond to this costly, generous act, but with our loyalty? We are God's children, and therefore that makes us dependent on him, Father, for his grace. We are direct beneficiaries of this costly grace. And God is our benefactor. God the Father Almighty. The second word in this greeting is peace, which we know in its root words from Hebrew as shalom. And we're very familiar with that, aren't we? Well, you hear this word all the time in the Old Testament. In fact, when we, and it's in our liturgy, we very seldom do it. And a lot of it was cut out because of COVID. But if you work through our communion liturgy, we will turn and extend the peace to one another, saying, peace be with you. And in return, what do we say? And also with you. And when we say that, what we are really saying is, I forgive you. That exchange between the two of us in the communion liturgy is a form of forgiveness. The word used in this passage from the New Testament is irene, I-R-E-I-R-E-N-E, and it is a Greek word also. Although both words are interpreted as we would commonly think, as peace, the absence of violence. The meaning here is much more. It is referring to a well-being, a state of well-being that comes from deep and personal relationships with God. One definition says a kind of wholeness that comes from having the image of God. Once shattered by sin, restored in the believer. When Christ died for us, the curtain of separation was torn. Why was that? It is because God is always craving, wanting, desiring a deeper, more personal relationship with each one of us. He never stops. He is always there with his arms outstretched, waiting for his child. As we read in this passage, we are all given the information about our God, the one who is, the one who was, the one who is coming. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and he will be the same tomorrow. There are things in your life that you can count on that will not change. Trust me, God is far above anything else on your list. The God who created us in order to have a relationship with us. The God who sent his own son to purchase our salvation. The God of promises does not change. He does not move away from us. What may change 
is possibility that we throughout our own life will move away from him. But the beauty is he is still there. That same loving, gracious, forgiving father. The God who sent his son Jesus Christ to be the faithful witness. Jesus, the one who knows God because he is God. The one who was there at the very beginning. Jesus said to his disciples and to us, to know me is to know the Father. Jesus also told his disciples and us that I am going to the cross. I will die. I will be resurrected for you. But when I ascend to be at the right hand of the Father, I am leaving you an advocate, a comforter, the Holy Spirit. It is this passage we are also given the knowledge that Christ the King is coming back. The King of Kings, Jesus Christ, is much more than an earthly king who only reigns for a short period of time. Jesus Christ the King, who sits at the right hand of God, will reign and have no end. His reign is eternal. As we read through this passage and unpack some of the background and the meaning, we see how the words have changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Not because God changed, but because his promise has been fulfilled. He said, I will send you the Messiah. And his covenant to us was made whole. Anticipation is a form of yielding. I have used the word yielding several times in my preaching, and as we go toward Advent Sunday, it takes on such new meaning for us. And yielding is not easy. Anticipation is not easy. All of God's people, from the very beginning, way back in the New Testament, have experienced a form of anticipation of the yielding to God. God's people in the Old Testament set in anticipation for thousands of years for this Messiah that they said was going to set them free. We read about their struggling with yielding. In the New Testament, we read the Messiah's birth in his ministry, but yet people still set in anticipation of their king who would come to set them free. They too struggled with yielding. But today we wait in anticipation with a new understanding and knowledge and hope that is so different. As we spend this next week sitting in this anticipation of the beginning of Advent, 
you know, we have to understand Advent is a time of preparation. The anticipation of the coming of the Christ child. But we sit in a different anticipation today. We sit in the anticipation of the second coming of Christ. The dictionary says that Advent is a noun. I think from now until Christmas we need to make it a verb. To take action, to truly yield to God, to sit in active anticipation and preparation of the coming of Christ. This coming that we will mark on the 25th of December is always thought about one that came in the still of the night, the silence of a stable. But the advent that we are sitting in now, the anticipation, the yielding, we await and prepare for is not silent and it is certainly not still. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, will return on a cloud. Every knee will bow. Every eye will see him. Trumpets will sound his coming. We will know that our Savior has come back for us. We have the hope of the Father who keeps his promises. A Father who brought, bought our salvation at a costly grace. A hope found only from the death on the cross and the resurrection to offer eternal life. You know, we're going to close um, our service today with what all of y'all think is really a Christmas hymn. It is the most unlikely Christmas hymn. It was really a combination of three different people, and I read Psalms and I read Isaiah to bring this point home. It is about the second coming of our Christ, of our King. So as we stand and sing these words, read the verses. Joy to the world. The king is here. He cannot reign until he comes back, until he had died on the cross for us. So sing it as we mean it. Amen and amen.